This is an ABC podcast. You're listening to the Beamsy and Brit podcast. She hits hard. She'll get the six. Grace Harris sets a new mark in the WBBL with a 42 ball punt. There's a run out of the bowlers end. Unbelievable. Bold. Sarah Coitz has got the wicket and it's all high fives for the players in the green and gold. Beamsy and Brit, who are they? Hello, hello, and merry Boxing Day test to all that celebrate. This is Beamsy and Brit, the ABC's maiden cricket podcast. And although our Australian men are currently in the thick of it against Pakistan at the MCG, we're here to dissect everything happening in the women's game, particularly the test our Australian women played against India in Mumbai that wrapped up on Christmas Eve. My name is Brittany Carter. I'm a sports journalist here at the ABC, and I'm joined by someone I know would have been very much glued to the TV screen over the past week. Men's, women's, doesn't matter. She's a cricket lover, of course. Former Australian leg spinner, Kristen Beams. Welcome back to the podcast after Christmas. How was it? Did you have a great time with your family, and did your son, Billy, get spoiled? Hey, Britt. Merry Christmas to, to everyone. Oh, we had a wonderful Christmas. Life is all about a two-and-a-half-year-old who is just starting to work out that Santa equals presents. So there was a little boy that got really spoiled, but we had a nice time by the beach. So there was no complaints my end. How about yourself, Britt? What was Christmas for you? Well, I hosted this year and I'm not much of a cook, but I made sure I got in the kitchen and I had some baking experiments that came off all right. So I would say it was a success. And The rain held off, which was very lucky indeed. It is thundering at the moment here. So there's a big storm brewing around me and I hope that doesn't come through too much on the mic. But we've had some patches of sun, so it's been a good Christmas overall. Oh, that's great. It's funny how I've got the good weather here in Tasmania and you've had the bad weather. So (laughs) it feels like like that's not quite right, but I'm going to take it. Yeah, I think Tassie people will definitely be trying to tell us that the weather is always better than the uh, the stereotypical thoughts about Tasmania being cold. And I'm glad you've had lots of warm weather and sun there. Well, if we cast our thoughts to Mumbai, where the test between India and Australia took place, it was the hosts that were the victors by eight wickets, marking back-to-back wins in the longest format in what was a record-breaking fortnight for India. The first time India had beaten England in a test on home soil, and the first time India had ever beaten Australia in test match cricket in the women's game. No more test cricket scheduled for them, though, in the near future. So hopefully their performances in these recent weeks really encourage the BCCI to lock in a few more because I know it's hard to find other nations to play women's test cricket, but South Africa has also expressed its interest and played a few. So there's another option there. And it does feel like there's a similar theme happening across the traditional format, whether it be men's or women's, in that you're trying to find an appropriate opponent to play that can match your skills and make it worthwhile. But there's certainly not an abundance of nations looking to play test cricket at this stage. No, and I think that's because we don't have that kind of multi-format. So even even this series isn't a multi-format. So you think about it in the way that we talk about an Ashes. Imagine if we were saying now, right, India are up in the multi-format series. They they would then have given themselves an incredible start to then win a series. So I think the multi-format is the the way to go about it. But I agree with you that I think the, the, the kind of test cricket that we've seen recently from India definitely has to help other countries going, hey, this is pretty good. And I think the thing that I loved probably more so than 
the Manica test that we saw for the ashes was mm. that the conditions played a role. So I, th- I think you have to see the conditions play some kind of role in, in the test because I think it puts too much pressure on people to kind of make it happen. Um, you know, Meg Lenning had to declare if that was ever going to be a game. Whereas I think when I flicked on the TV and even from the starting of that game, I knew that the conditions were going to play a role. And I think that's what makes it really exciting for people to watch it as well. But uh, it was so good watching Test Cricket. We, we just need more of it, I think. But multi-format is going to be the way to do it. It should encourage India to host more as well, knowing that they were the, the key winners in both matches on home soil. And we look at this stat from Hypercourse on Twitter. The Indian women have now won five and drawn two of their last seven tests, a run which dates back to 2006. So they've been unbeaten for quite some time and hopefully that plays in their favour. And it is interesting now that they've declared this tour for Australia is going to be broken up and treated as separate series in each format because it was kind of packaged and marketed to us as a multi-format series again. And now we're learning that, the test is a one-off. The ODIs are their own series in itself. And same with the T20. So do you have any idea why they might have done that? No, it's a really interesting one for me because I think if you're going to do that and split it up, then you kind of need to play three tests, right? Because yeah. I think having one test match kind of doesn't make sense. I think you you can definitely break them up when you've got ODIs and T20s because you can still kind of have that. But it feels like you need more than one test match to kind of break that up. So it feels like it's this additional part. Um, but I love the the multi-format series. Um, I've been very vocal about it being a really important thing for, for test cricket. And and I think we'll, as we see more countries play it and, and, and get involved with it, we'll kind of work out where the points should sit because there's always that debate around how many points are for the test and, and how do you kind of work that out? So mm. I think there's a few more layers maybe that will maybe make it a little bit more interesting. I mean, is the thought that Australia would win the test match and then it's too hard to win the series? I, I don't know. But um, I, th- I think if we can get that part right, you'd like to think that every country would say, hey, no, we want this to be multi-format because even if we're a little bit off in the test or a little bit off in the T20s, we've still got a way to win the series. So I think that that's what makes it it really good rather than kind of feeling like, oh, okay, well, let's just do the math. Oh, let's no, let's just separate them out. Uh, I just think it'd be nicer to have it all together. The other thing I think we were hoping for back in 2021 when we hosted India for a multi-format series, which followed this same pattern but was counted as that the point system multi-format overall series was that there was uh, real calls to name it after some of the most iconic Australian and Indian women's players and we haven't seen that and now we hear that it's breaking apart so uh, anyway that's something to watch but I would love to see them acknowledge and pay tribute to some of the former players that way. We of course are going to unpack everything that happened in this test over the four days but I just wanted to make a quick mention first of the newest inductee to the Australian Cricket Hall of Fame, former national captain Lynn Larson. I really enjoyed reading a profile that was written by Greg Baum in the Sydney Morning Herald, which detailed Larson's journey from growing up on a banana farm near Lismore in New South Wales, where she still lives, to leading her country. And I recommend hunting that piece down if you'd like to know more about her life. So Lynn Larson captain Australia on 50 occasions between 1986 and 1993, quite a feat across seven years, and she played 15 tests, the very first in 1984 in Delhi, which is funny enough, the last time the Australian women had played a test in India up until last week, 
One of her career highlights was when she led the team to a World Cup final win over England at the MCG in 1988. And back then, the crowd was 3,326 people. Let's compare that to the T20 World Cup final Australia played against India at the MCG in 2020, 86,174 people there. So the game has certainly come a long way since Lynn played the game. But she was on the SCG Trust for four years and was also involved in managing some of the Australian underage teams. So she oversaw the development of future stars like Beth Mooney, Talia McGrath. And so she's given back a lot to the sport since retiring too. And so from one leg spinner to another Beamsy, um, I think you'd agree with me in saying that this sounds like it's really well-deserved to see Lynn Larson inducted into the Australian Cricket Hall of Fame. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that there's, when we see so much of the game now and the change in professionalisation and, and all of the, the players that are kind of visual, I, th- I think it's really easy to kind of forget what a rich history the game has. And for people like me who've had the opportunity to go on and play for Australia, it's because of all of the people that, that went before you. And, and Lynn Larson is no exception, um, an absolute game changer. I mean, to captain 50 times in that time period, when you consider how little they would have played back then, incredible feat. I think everyone kind of knows her as a, as a bit of a game changer um, in the way that um, the team went about things and, and where it kind of got to. So uh, it's so nice to, to see her inducted into Australian Cricket Hall of Fame. I think it's just a really nice reflection and there's not enough leg spinners in it and and we can talk about that another time, but hopefully (laughs) we see more and more leg spinners enter that as well because we all know it's the toughest thing to do in the game. So, yeah, so pleased for for Lynn Larson. Um, Incredible for the the women's game as well to have that acknowledgement. I did read in that profile that she choked up and was crying on the phone when they told her the news. So that's just really lovely to hear as well. All right, well, let's head into our test match talking points. So leading into this match, we did hope that the Aussies would do a better job than England had against India in this test. England, of course, lost the week before by 347 runs. And I think the Aussies still put up a better fight like we expected, but it was the same outcome with India, the victors. There was a great tweet from Anisha Ghosh, an Indian journalist on the ground in Mumbai, who relayed a chant that was coming from the crowd. They said, you took it to day four, you took it to day four, unlike the English, you took it to day four, and that went viral. So you can imagine the Aussies loving that, knowing we lost the test, but we at least did better than England. And while that's some consolation, it was Australia's first test defeat since the Ashes back in 2014. There was some iconic footage of Elisa Healy at the end who grabbed a camera and was taking shots of the Indian side celebrating with the winner's banner. I do love that she can still see the bigger picture and be a good sport in that sense. And she's, I think, a gracious loser. But it's a massive blow for the Aussies knowing they've lost this one right after we won our first test in eight years in July in the women's ashes. So a real mixed bag to finish off 2023. Beansy, how do you think the Australian camp will be taking this result? Because it felt like watching on that, yes, the conditions were really tough, but also some of the standards might have slipped, particularly for me, I think I noticed it most in the field. Yeah, I think that they'll be disappointed to lose. and They don't think that they would have gone into this test going, oh, I think it'll be really hard to win it. I think even with the the result that England had, they would kind of go, you know what, we, we, we win this test. So I think that they'll be disappointed but I don't think you can take a lot away from the way that India played. Like, I thought they were very good against England and I think they were very good again, I, I think, in, in really all facets in the, the way that they played. And I think 
you know, I mentioned this idea of three test matches. It would be really interesting to see what would have happened if we had another test match coming up. That would have been really intriguing to me to to see what it would have been like because I think India were better for the run. Would Australia be better for the run? Absolutely. We don't get to kind of see that. But I just thought, actually thought it was a really good contest. I was kind of watching it and you every time someone dived and they're completely covered in dirt and it, they look horrendous. And I'm like, yeah, I actually love this about the game. And I agree with you. I thought the way that Elise Healy carried herself at the end of the game, she was still at her cheeky best and kind of going, you know what? Yeah, she'd be devastated as a the captain of Australia to lose that. But actually, they just played a test match in India. Like, it's an incredible thing to do. Um, that It's nice that, that they can still see the bigger picture. Because the occasion is so rare to play test cricket, but also to play test cricket in India, I just thought it was such a nice way to see her still lapping up the moment and going, yeah, we lost. Yeah, it sucks. But let's not forget that this has happened. And we don't know how many times she's going to get the opportunity to captain a test in India again. So I thought that was really great to see from Elisa Healy. Um, when it comes to tactics, credit where credit is due, Harman Preetkor, I thought her tactics were on point in this match. And I have to admit that I was watching on at the start of play in day three thinking, okay, you're going to declare because the Indians were almost about 400 runs on the board and I was just worried that there wasn't going to be enough time for a result had they just continued to bat and bat and bat, which it looked like they were going to do. They looked very comfortable. I was happy to be wrong because as soon as I appeared on national radio and said that, I hope they declare soon because we might not get a result, uh, Kim Garth and Annabelle Sutherland combined really nicely and got rid of the last wickets that were required to finish off that innings. And it did, though, feel like 80% of the game was in India's control and that they were dictating the course of the match. So I'm not sure if you felt that same way. Yeah, I think that they were better in the the conditions and I think you would expect them to be on the the most part. I think that um, that's probably be a frustration for for the Australian team that they, they weren't able to get some of those um, breakthroughs when they would have liked and but it was also nice to see them go about it a different way. Like Annabelle Sutherland came in and bowled a lot of short stuff and you know, we're not going to see India play that way. We saw um, their spinners probably dominate a, a little bit more. Um, but I think their their medium paces did a pretty good job um, on the on the surface as well. I thought the striker was was very good. Um, yes. So it's it's one of those ones. That it's it's a bit like oh, I just thought India played really well. Um, hmm. I don't think that Australia played poorly. I, I, I don't sit back and go, oh, yeah, they completely blew it. I, I didn't think that at all. I just thought that India were better, um, which is probably a little bit different to how I'd seen the the England game. I, I didn't think England were at their best um, yeah. and I thought India were good. I, this felt like it was a little bit more even, but they just had the better of them. Yeah, there were certainly moments where Australia started to build partnerships and you'd think, oh, can we swing this back here? But much of a muchness in India's favour. And you mentioned the spinners. Off-spinner Snarana was the player of the match for her seven wickets in total. We knew spin was going to play a key role on an Indian pitch. How do you think the pitch played? I think um, I saw some mixed commentary online about this, but it was a very red wicket. A lot of that Indian dirt you kind of expect to see on one of their grounds. I just thought it was iconic. I love the red dirt all over the whites. Um, as you've mentioned, it must be a nightmare for whoever's looking after the washing to to get all of that out. A lot of nappy sand used, I can imagine. But, yeah, what did you make of the pitch itself? 
Yeah, I'd love to know what the players thought of the wicket. I'm, I'm sure we we don't get to hear them talk about it, but I was a little bit like you. I was like, it was really nice to watch something that looked so different. And I think if if it hadn't have spun or it hadn't have been good for the spinners, it, that would have felt like more of a flop for me. So, like at times the ball kept low and all of those sorts of things. But I think for I think having watched so much cricket here in Australia and you just see the the bounce is so true and they're just basically a batter's paradise. It was actually quite nice to see that. Um, the bowlers were in the game a little bit more. And it just gave it that different feel where you could have fielders in and around the bat. I mean, the Beth Mooney dismissal was a really bizarre one where she kind of just wandered out of her crease and got run out. But it's like, well, how many times would there be a short leg in play? And if we weren't on a spinning wicket, we might not have seen that. I'm sure Beth Mooney doesn't want to watch any replays of that, by the way, because (laughs) she would have just been like, oh my God, what what did I do there? And why did I do that? But Again, those things made it a really good thing to to watch. So even though you're like, oh, goodness, brain fade. But at the same time, like we saw fielders around the bat. And at times you can't do that here in Australia because it's a batter's paradise and they actually just look like a little target for the batters sometimes on on our wickets because it's so true. So I think for that reason, I, I, I don't, didn't see a problem with the, the pitch. I think it would be interesting whether we would be talking about it differently through ODIs and T20s. Mm. So do we actually want to see more of batting wickets? Because I don't know that we want to see teams rolled for 120 in an ODI. I, I think our expectation on the wickets being a little bit more firm and better for batting. But for a test match, especially when it didn't necessarily count towards a multi-format, happy days. I, I think I think it was good. And we got a result, right? So I think that's probably the biggest thing out of it. It was entertaining and we got a result. And that's probably the two things that we've kind of asked of test pitches for women's cricket. Make sure that it actually provides some entertainment. It's not just dull and lifeless. Make sure that we get something out of it. So I think that it was good to kind of get those two things ticked off. You talk about the close fielding. There was a really good photo I saw online from Maddie Obi. I think it was a screenshot of the coverage and it had seven of the Indian fielders really crowded around the batter. And you wouldn't see that often in women's cricket. So it was pretty awesome to see. Yeah, I I actually remember in the test match I played getting sledged by Charlotte Edwards at short, and she was at short leg. And I just remember thinking, like, I'm pinching myself that not only am I batting in a a test match, but Charlotte Edwards is actually talking to me. Um, And she's sledging me, right? She's not asking me how my day is, but, like, (laughs) And it was all in good fun. It was absurd. And we were both having a laugh. But I was like, that those moments you don't get to have in any other format. So like Charlotte Edwards is like the queen of cricket for me. So I'm just kind of standing there going, oh, my God, I'm like, yeah, the Charlotte Edwards is talking to me. And it was it's a really great experience because they're experiences we don't get to, to have in the game. I, I think also the, the ball, the red ball, it, it kind of plays a little bit differently. We play so much white ball cricket. It gets soft quick. It's different. But all of a sudden, you know, who's the dedicated shiner? And we saw the ball being thrown around and and trying to see if we, they could get the ball to move as well. So I think all of those little elements are the things that when you you look back on it, you remember those moments of, of test matches and those long periods of time where you don't take a wicket and then the ball might reverse or do something a bit different and you go, wow, we put in all that work for one moment, one ball. I think that's the stuff that we all love about test cricket. And I think even the team would look back and say, well, you know what, we didn't win the test match, but there were probably some pretty amazing moments that they, they kind of shared and, and had a laugh about at the end of the test.
If we're talking tactics, Australia probably in comparison didn't get them quite right, which is probably one of the reasons we didn't get the result. And it appears there's still a little bit of work to do there for Elisa Healy and Shelley Nitschke in the coaching staff because I think people forget that even though the captain takes the field and has to make the calls in the moments, there would be so many plans put in place with the coaches and even with the vice captain, Talia McGrath, about this is what we're going to do for this batter and yada, yada. And you kind of approach the game with that in the back of your pocket. So I think when we're talking tactics, we have to think about the coaches as well in that sense. But the forming of their plans and how they utilised the people they had on the puck maybe didn't always quite come off. It was a debut for left arm quick, Lauren Cheadle. But although most of the rest of the names in the test squad have been around for quite a long time, the team is still very much in a transition phase as it has new leadership, a new way of doing things, new batting order. Like There's so much change to a side that used to just run the same team out every game. So it still very much feels like some of these matches that they're still trying to work out their new roles and who fits best where and all of that. Did you feel like there was too much reliance on Ashley Gardner from a bowling perspective because when we have a look at the way that the bowling was rotated she bowled 50 overs and that was 30 more than say a Jess Jonathan, a Kim Garth or an Alana King so it, it felt like Gardner was given the ball a lot over the test match and India in comparison a little bit more effective and used fewer bowlers that way able to get the job done. Yeah, I think that she was the most effective on that wicket and and I probably expect that because I think because she gets high revolutions on the ball and she gets a little bit more bounce, that's different to, to a Jess Jonathan who might skid the ball on. Um, even an Alana King tends to, to skid the ball on a little bit more as well. So I wondered whether it was um, more about how effective she was on that wicket. Um mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's always an interesting one in comparison uh, where you saw a few more of the, the Indian bowlers used. I, I still think the biggest challenge that the Australian women's team have is that they have nearly too many options. Yeah. So sometimes in a, a longer format game, it's, it's like too many options. Um, so when you're in a, a T20 or an ODI, you kind of, you can chop and change nearly every over and you're changing those things. From a, a test point of view, you kind of got to pick and stick a little bit when you're when you say, right, this is the plan, we're going to use Annabelle Sutherland and she's going to bowl short, you're kind of sticking with that for a, a little bit longer. So but there must have been so many times looking up going, oh, there's so many options of, of bowlers they could use. And and I and I think that's a positive and a negative all at, at once. I think you want to have options, but sometimes I'm like, do they have too many options mm. and therefore you don't kind of keep coming back to, to bowlers because they would have kind of been picking up each spell and, and picking up some new things and how they might bowl on the wicket and how they win, they might see that that differently. So, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one. So many options, but I thought that Ash, I thought Ash Gardner bowled incredibly well. She just, I just love watching it bowl. It's seeing it just bite off the the surface all the time. Um, I'm sure that she'd love to play a, a fair bit more cricket in, in India in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they used eight bowlers in that first. Indian innings and they didn't really get time to rotate through in the second one because India only had a few runs to get to really win the match but it was interesting so how do you think they fix the problem of having too many options I mean we always say that it's like not really a problem to have but it just felt like they were missing something and they were handing the ball around a lot and Ash Gardner was able to get five wickets over the course of the match so you're right she was someone that was able to extract something out of the pitch but 
it felt like there was one option missing. And I don't know if it was because they needed to pick someone who could put Rebs on the ball like an Ash Gardner and then they could tie two ends down and have that tactic from both ends. Um, but I think it's very easy to also sit here from hindsight knowing the conditions of that particular wicket and venue and going, would we have picked a bit differently? I mean, I'd love to be in those conversations right now knowing what the Aussie camp think of that match in hindsight. Yeah, my thought would be that they probably wouldn't have picked any differently. I think that you have to have a bit of everything. So I, I was actually really pleased to see Lauren Cheadle make her debut. I, I think adding the the left armour, we've seen her swing the ball as well. Um, so I, I thought that was a good inclusion. So I think it's it's probably a little bit more around how they might use them as as opposed to did they have the right people. I think they I think they had the right people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they probably just look at how they could have done that differently and because to your point I I don't think there is an answer I think it's just finding a way to to move through the the different surfaces and and the conditions that they're playing to go right we we might just go with these you know we might be using five or six of eight or nine options that we we might have but that's such a hard thing to do because I think if you're not taking wickets or there you're in a lull in a game you're you're always going to want to throw the ball whereas you know we might be watching the the men's test that's happening at the moment and it's sort of a little bit bizarre and it's, you know, Travis Head gets thrown the ball or whoever, but, you know, the Australian women's, women's team are throwing the ball to somebody who can play a lead role. Um, yeah. They're not part-time. There's not really any part-time options within the Australian women's team. They're all full-time options and so it's tricky. Yeah, definitely tricky. What did you make of Lauren Cheadle's debut? Because we know she's been through so much to get to that point. She had a brush with skin cancer. She had shoulder problems, um, a range of issues that she's really had to overcome. So I think for a lot of Aussie fans, knowing that we got to see her don the baggy green cap was just an amazing feeling. But no wickets in the first innings with a pretty good economy at 2.55, 23 runs and three maidens from her nine overs. Didn't get given the ball in the second innings. I know it's not all about wickets. Sometimes we look at the scorecard and we read way too much into that and can be about tying down the end, building pressure for other bowlers to come through. So as someone that's been inside that world of the Australian setup, what feedback do you think she'd be getting from this test match performance? Yeah, I think they would have been pretty happy. Like I don't I don't think they would have, you know, kind of called her in and been like, hey, this is what we should think you should have done differently. I think it, again, when we talk about the, their options and what they've got, it would have been going, you know, can she kind of get the ball to kind of shape back in um, to the, to the right hander? Did it do it as much as they thought? Maybe not. So I think, I think the feedback would have been okay. I think to on debut in those conditions is a completely different um, world really. Mm. Um, So she'll be better for that opportunity. But I, I agree with you. I think with everything that she's gone through, I think just seeing her get that opportunity um, and to get that opportunity because she absolutely deserves it. I think the way that she's performed domestically has been outstanding. So it's always nice as a player to get an opportunity when you feel like your your game is in a really good place. And I think that's what we, we saw from uh, Lauren Cheadle. Would she have loved to have taken wickets? Absolutely. Um, but I'm sure there's a lot of players, myself included, who didn't take a, a wicket on, on their test debut. Um, so I don't think that that they would have been too disappointed with the way that she played. Mm. 
Cheadle won't be in the ODIs. She was just selected in the wider squad for the test format. So we'll probably see someone take her spot for the white ball stuff as we head towards that. With the bat, I'd love to know why you think it's so hard to bat in India. The conditions obviously a little bit different, but most of our reliables looked a little bit out of sorts. There were big batting collapses. There was times where they struggled to build partnerships and Australia were all out for 219 in the first innings. Some of those early wickets fell before spin was even involved, which I was quite intrigued to see. India reply made 406 and three of their players reached the 70s. Australia did better in the second innings with 261, but it left a measly 75 runs for the host to chase down for victory on that final day. It didn't last till T. In previous meetings, I think when I've seen Australia play India in these big tournament moments like finals and things like that when it's come down to those two teams, I think probably their batting has let them down against Australia in the past and we didn't see that this time. And the fielding I thought was another really big area of improvement for India. So whatever they're doing in their pathways and in that national setup is starting to pay off. Yeah, definitely. I thought that India were very good in the field and it's always been something that I think teams have looked at and gone, right, we know we actually know we can hit either side of the field uh, and we can take off and go. But I thought that they were they were really good in that space. I think your question around what's the hardest part, I, I think it's you know that the ball's going to spin, and I, I, but I don't actually think that's the, the hardest bit. I think for, for a lot of countries that, that go to India, I think it's the bounce. I think you, you look at it and you go, right, that's a short ball and you want to go, go back to it, and the ball actually keeps it a lot lower. Um, so I think the decision-making around whether to go forward and back is so much harder in India. Um, I think players that prefer to, to sweep and, and do different things um, tend to have a little bit more success. Um, but if you're a player that likes to get on the back foot um, uh, against the the short ball, I, I reckon in India it's pretty challenging because I think on instinct you see length and, and you make decisions, but India is, is pretty different um, in that space. I think the, the spin part, yes, it, it might spin a bit, but I think a lot of batters would say, well, you just play the line and it is what it is. So interesting. That's why your insights are so crucial, Benzie. Now, um, our left-handed opening partnership, the new one that's blossoming between Phoebe Litchfield and Beth Mooney, do we think this is the right one? At this stage, I think there still needs to be a bit more of a gelling between the two. They haven't played that many games together in the scheme of things. We know that Beth Mooney is nicknamed Ms. Consistent because she usually is able to get the job done no matter the circumstances, but she had a couple of hiccups in this one. So there was a moment where there was an early run out. Some blamed Beth Mooney. Phoebe Litchfield went out for a diamond duck and then you've alluded to Beth Mooney getting run out when she didn't realise that (laughs) the fielder had grabbed the ball right behind her back and she was a little late getting back into the crease so she was run out there. As for Litchfield, we know she's just hit 20 years of age. She's still very young, still very early on in her career. Just her second test appearance, only 18 runs in total to her name and she's got such high standards for herself. I know she would have wanted a bit more out of the tank. Do you think this is the opening partnership Australia should continue to pursue in Test cricket? Because we're expecting Elisa Healy to come back up the order and open for the white ball stuff. Yeah, I think so. I think that Litchfield's a really good option. She reminds me a lot of a, a younger Meg Lanning. And I think a lot of people felt that Meg was at her best when she opened the batting. Um, 
but we saw about at three and even four for Australia as well. So I think that what I see from a, a Phoebe Litchfield, I'd like to see her open the batting. And again, I, I see her as a top order option in in one day cricket as well. I, I love the Healy Mooney combination. I think you get that real difference in the way that they go about it. Um, but uh, similarly, I could see Litchfield playing a role um, at some point at the the top of the order in that in that format as well. But it, it will take them some time, I think, to, to get that gelling. I think I'm not an opening batter, so I'm not even going to try and make comment on it. But <laughs> I think that sort of instinctive running where, you know, they don't really even say much. They kind of just look at each other and go. I, I think that's what's um, that's all going to be a part of it as well. Um, plus big crowds, noise, getting to know each other, the conditions. There would have been a whole lot of stuff happening. Um, so, yeah, I like the combination. I think that. I think Litchfield's going to be an outstanding cricketer, and um, I hope she ends up being the the kid, the other misconsistent along with with Beth Mooney because I think <laughs> she's got the capacity to, to do that. One thing I think you could say about the Aussie team is they don't make knee jerk reactions. So if something doesn't come off in one game, they're not often going to drastically change the order based off that. They're more likely to stick with what they already went in with. That has given a lot of the players real confidence over time. I know Elisa Healy, when she really made that push to become an opener for the Aussie team, said in the past she'd been so worried about the results that it really got in her head. And it was only when she kind of made that charge to move back up the top and that Matthew Mott said to her, don't worry, whatever you do, we're still going to pick you there. Like you still got your spot. That was when her game really started to flourish. So for such a young player like Phoebe Litchfield, I'm expecting them to give that same kind of support and backing. And yeah, she'll get there. I think we all have faith that she'll become that next Meglani that you're predicting. If we're looking for positives, Talia McGrath was our saving grace in both innings. 50 in the first, it was the fastest test half century by an Australian woman, and 73 in the second innings. Even though she had some shockers in the field, we'll forget all that. We'll wipe the slate clean because she did <laughs> the job for us with the bat. And from a bowling perspective, we've already touched on Ash Gardner. Was there anyone else you thought was worth a mention for their efforts from the Australian side? Yeah, I thought they were all pretty good. I, I just think that Talia McGrath looked really cool, calm and collected for me in that batting lineup. So that was that's probably something that they might reflect on is she just looks really unflappable for me, like the the way that, that she goes about it. So um, I think that the way that she was still able to play attacking style of cricket, even if the ball went off the outside edge to just kind of be like, yeah, all good. I think it's, it's those sorts of attributes that I think in test cricket, you really need to have. I think as a bowler, you're on the flip side of it. You can bowl these great deliveries and they just get nicked for four all the time. And you just want to pull your hair out. Whereas I think any batter that can kind of work through that and go, hang on, I'm not, I'm not going that badly. That was four. Okay, I'm, I'm accumulating, but it's going, you know, hitting the outside edge and I can just roll with the punches. I thought that Tali McGrath was outstanding at that and really nice to see her do really well in a, you know, she's now the official vice captain full-time. It was really nice to see her play such a lead role in the team. Last big talking point before we look ahead to the one day is was the fiery rivalry that we got to see play out again between the two captains. We touched on this last week and I said, <laughs> I know you said to me, if something happens, it'll be, you know, we'll know about it for sure. So it was a big narrative in the game. Day three, we see Hum and Preet Kaur bowling to Elisa Healy. 
Elisa Healy hits the ball back along the ground to Hamapreet Kaur. She's clearly frustrated. She throws the ball straight at Elisa Healy in defense. Healy gets her bat up, comes off the bat, goes for four. Hamapreet Kaur then has the nerve to say that Healy was obstructing the field. And then Healy's response was a bit of a shrug to the umpire, like, what gives? How can she get away with this? She literally just threw the ball at me. So it was a clearly effective tactic, though, because the very next delivery court trapped Elisa Healy LBW and she was gone for 32. So I think the Indian captain looking back would, as we've seen her do in many other times where she's been questioned on her behaviour, back herself in and say, I wouldn't change anything. I'd do that again because I got the result. But as someone that came to this knowing this wasn't quite an isolated incident and that there's been a number of things over the past 12 or so months where she has rubbed people up the wrong way for some of her behaviour and her bad temper, I looked at this and I thought, should the BCCI and ICC be cracking down on this? Because they punished her for what happened against Bangladesh. That was well documented. But there are little things in games here and there that I think are against the spirit of cricket. And I know that's a big can of worms to open on your beamsy <laughs> the day after Boxing Day. But for me, I just watched that and I go, what are you doing? You're supposed to be the leader of this group. It just feels a bit wrong for me. So I don't know if you think that they need to crack down on this behaviour from Harman Precor. Yeah, I think in isolation, you probably wouldn't think it was that bigger deal it was you know someone kind of in that moment just going over the line throwing it back yeah it's not great but I I think when you think about yeah you put all of the little things together you're sort of like oh it just didn't look good I just didn't like it I just thought all she needed to do because I'm not I'm not somebody who kind of goes oh you can't do anything yeah. I don't mind it being I think I said that last time I'm close like, to the line close to the line yeah. like just don't step over it and if she'd have done that and instead of appealing to the umpire, had to just put a hand up and just go on like, sorry, like I would have been okay with that because I think in those moments you'd pick it up and you throw it and you're like, oh, my goodness, that's actually not gone at the stumps. That's actually gone at her. Um, and it was a bit of the karma, you know, she it comes off the bat, it goes for four, it's four runs. I think it was I, the part that I really disliked was actually the fact that she was then appealing for like obstruction. It's like yeah. it's it, that's not that's not what it was. Um, you've actually thrown it at her, and then she's she's kind of defended it away. But look, I, I think that she's going to continue to do that stuff. Um, I think that I think it'll probably be something where, as a player, I would think that that would make me want to do better against Hum Precor. So mm -hmm. I don't. I hope that it's got the effect on the Australian team that they're like, right, okay, let's go. Um, but, yeah, an interesting one around whether it's, you know, uh, it's probably within the, the laws. Like, I don't know that you would end up getting fined for something like that, but I'd expect that the umpire might have said, right, cool, it. we don't want to see that anymore. Um, but that's probably as far as it kind of needs to to go. Um, yeah. I didn't see but, yeah, that, though. You wouldn't want to I didn't you wouldn't see, see it a warning. Again. Yeah, I didn't see kind of any warning from the umpire. For me, I'd like that... to see what the the match referee would do in that situation because sometimes yeah. you can ha kind of have those moments where we probably don't get privy to see what happens with a, a match referee. So it might have been at the end of the, the day's play, she might have got called over for, for a kind of a, like, probably not. Um, I think it would be different if she'd have hit her on the, on the knee roll on the pad and she was in front of the stumps. Like, I would sort of be like, okay, well, I could nearly make I think it'd be a long bow, but I can make a case for you picking up the ball and trying to throw it at the stumps. But 
I think the fact that it was a lot higher than that, it just looked like it was one of those frustration moments. Um, but then I think you're right. I think she would walk away from it going, well, I, I did that and I ruffled the feathers. It cost me four runs and I got her out the next ball. So um, you would have loved to have seen Elisa Healy go on and make 100. I think she might have <laughs> looked back on that situation quite differently if that hadn't been the case. Yeah, Cor got the last laugh in that little battle, I think. it. Yeah, I, I don't like to put particularly women's athletes or female athletes, I should say, in a box because we want that passion and we want characters in the game. And it's quite boring if we all think everyone has to be a certain way when they take on sport. But at the same time, I think you've put it really well there where you can go close to the line and still kind of, I think, err with caution and still be within you know, the confines of the game still respected. But when you step over it and then you're appealing for an obstruction of the field, when you're the one that actually instigated that incident, that's where I kind of get, yeah, it, it did ruffle me the wrong way, I have to say. Now, another storyline on that note of Hum and Pre Call we were keeping our eyes on was that she did not get a maiden test 50. We saw that she was dismissed on 49 against England, was out LBW to Ash Gardner in the first innings against Australia for a duck. So didn't get to bat in that second innings either. And I know that was something we were keeping an eye on, knowing that she hasn't played a huge amount of test matches, but has tried to get to that 50 a number of times and hasn't succeeded. So that core test 50 watch continues until the next one, it seems. Now, as we look ahead to the white ball format, we see three games played on the 28th, the 30th of December, and then the third played on the 2nd of January. They all start at 7 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time. But that means, unfortunately, for Australian viewers that we probably will only see maybe the first innings before we all go to bed. An early afternoon start for Indian fans, though, same venue as the test. With the squad, we'll see Lauren Cheadle drop out, as we mentioned earlier. That makes room for, say, Megan Shute, Darcy Brown, Heather Graham or Georgia Wareham to come back into the fold. So what are you kind of expecting to see from these white ball matches? Yeah, I think that they'll try and pick up some information from the the test around the wicket because, as I said, I, I expect it to be a bit harder and better for batting, but it is at the same venue. So yeah. they will have picked up some information out of that. So I'm really curious to see whether someone like Heather Graham might play a role. I think um, that sort of different change-ups, I think between her and Megan Shoot, I, I think we'll see a player come in that, probably bowls lots of cutters and does things a little bit different, um, particularly that can bowl through those middle overs. So they they essentially become nearly like an extra spinner. So if the ball's swinging, they can swing it. But if it's not swinging, they can also do some, some different things as well. So um, whether somebody with a little bit less pace on the ball is more effective, do they then, or they go the other way and say, let's pick Darcy Brown, let's try and go all out pace. Um, if the wicket is a bit better for batting, I think that might be something they consider doing because I think if the wicket's harder, it'll be easier for, for Darcy Brown. But they have also liked playing Georgia Wareham through ODI and T20s as well, I think with that late sort of hitting power as well. So I wouldn't be surprised. But again, it's another headache for the, <laughs> the selection for Australia. I think I could, I reckon I could have five goes at picking the team and not get it right. Um and I, and I think that's also a bit of a, a challenging one as a player. They're probably going, well, did I do enough in the test? Are they going to pick me if I wasn't in the test team? I, I reckon that's probably going, oh, I wonder what we're going to do here. But um, I think we'll definitely see a, a different lineup um, to what we saw in the test, obviously, in addition to, to Lauren Cheadle coming out. Right. Well, we will join you again on the Beamsy and Brick podcast 
after the three ODIs to wrap up all the action of those sometime around the start of the Sydney test. So just keep an eye out on the best of ABC Sport podcast feed for our next episode, looking at all of that ODI action. Beamsy, thank you so much for your insights today. I know we're in that holiday lull period, so (laughs) good to still be able to chat with you and I look forward to seeing what happens in the ODIs. Thanks, Britt. Good to chat and have a, a nice New Year's and I'll speak to you in the New Year. Of course, New Year's is on the way, yeah. Yes, right. Well, we'll start the new year right with a podcast, of course. So I look forward to chatting with you again then. Awesome. Thanks, Britt. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.